Hi, Clancy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Open House. I'm currently in a great deal of pain because I'm propping up a blanket over my head to improve the sound quality for your experience. I have a scarf. It's really nice because it's light and I can kind of still see through it. But can you? So I you feel can like I'm in my holding a blanket. Well, I can't see you because you're holding a blanket. Yeah, so you can see my blanket, which is teal colored <laughs> and very heavy, which is covering me. No, I just look like I'm veiled, shrouded in in Misery a black and yeah. darkness. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, how no. are you, mate? Oh, um, how am I? I'm all right, thank you. It's been a strange week. This is so weird because I can't see your face. I can't face. see you, I know. It's been covered in snow. What has your been face. fun is you and I are re-watching mm. Fleabag, mm. season yes. two, of mm. course, which is the best season. It is the best season. Um, which has been so, so fun. And it's just reaffirmed my lifelong um, admiration for Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yes. And I'm already excited to get to the Anthony scene. Oh. Uh, the hair scene. Wait, the hair? Oh, sorry, yes, yes. You have, like, the worst memory when it comes to, like, film and TV. Okay, all right then. No, just we'll be watching something. You're like, you're like, yesterday you were like, and is the fox the fourth wall? (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) No, no, that was because, so there's one point when, when the priest and Fleabag are sat on the bench and, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and and the camera pans in in the way that it does when it sort of leaves Fleabag at the end, right? And it kind of pans in and comes round and it looks like the camera is the fox. It I looks see. like the direction in which t- toward which they're looking because they're freaking out about this fox. Yes. And the camera moves in conjunction with them looking toward that general area when they're figuring out is there a fox there so that made me think is that something to do with this fourth wall situation well maybe you should have words i hi phoebe so (laughs) if you're listening which let's be real you probably are um can you can you let me know if i am right is is the fox part of the fourth wall antics. All along, all along, when she wrote that original play for Edinburgh, she was talking to a fox the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to move on to the socials because I'm currently holding up this blanket in a, like, don't cry for me Argentina style, and it is so painful. I'm going to have the best biceps ever tomorrow. Um, guys, please follow us you on the You already have good biceps. Oh, thank you. That's, That's okay. So kind. I know. Um, Carry on. Please follow us on the socials. We are at Instagram at Open House Pod. And we're also on Twitter at underscore Open House Pod. You can get lots of updates for the podcast. Um, if you want to see the current blanket setup, we'll probably save it to a highlight just because it's funny. Um, yeah, that's it. And if you have other tips for other household items we can use to dampen <laughs> sound to make it sound nice right into us talkopenhouse at gmail.com also guys if you have a if you have a difficult conversation that's quite amusing that you'd like us to know about it we'd love it if you leave it in the review section on itunes yes do that and alternatively you can still email us with said difficult conversation as well as leaving a review of course um talkopenhouse at gmail.com this week on the show we speak to the wonderful grace mower um Grace speaks w- wonderfully and openly and candidly about her experiences and her words are beautiful and she's great and yeah so good so good so great this is a trigger warning for the episode so in this episode um eating disorders are discussed and if this is something that you don't feel comfortable listening to at this moment in time um please feel free to switch off the episode now and rejoin us for another episode next week or at another time when you are feeling happy to do so. Um, thank you so much for all the ongoing support and listening and we really hope you enjoy the episode. And until then, goodbye, folks. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. 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 B
that is not pleasant for the I'm sorry about your ear holes. Welcome to Open House. The podcast all about having those difficult conversations. Ever had to hash out funeral plans with your terminally ill mum? Or ask if your dad is really your dad? We have and we want to chat all about it. Join me, Clancy. And me, Mel, as we open up and get into some nitty gritty details. Like therapy, but cheaper. This is Open House. Hello everyone and welcome to Open House again. We're here. Guys, we're in a virtual studio. We're in our house, it's open, we're feeling the love. Today in our studio we have someone very exciting and very, very wonderful. Please get excited because we have Grace Mower on the show today. So basically, everyone, Grace is a professional musical theatre actor. She is best known as the original swing in Six the Musical, where she covered all of the roles. How cool. And for appearing in Max Martin's smash hit musical and Juliet. She also has a, hel- a hilarious YouTube channel and can often be found on Instagram cooking up a storm in the kitchen. Grace also has a podcast aptly titled Cut to the Grace and season two is out now. In it, she speaks to friends, old and new, and asks them all the juicy questions on how they became the person they are today. Please welcome to our virtual studio, it's Grace! Hello! lovely intro thank you so much (laughs) you are most welcome how are you grace how is life tell us i mean what is life is the first question that comes to head when you say how is life like i didn't even know what it is so i don't know if i could say how it is um (laughs) it yeah i'm i'm good i'm actually like i'm just up and down every single day i literally just take it as it comes and i think now i've accepted that i'm like so much better in myself um but i I'm sure you're the same. Like I've had this project, this podcast and stuff to crack on with. And I feel like it's kept me sane. It really has. It's given me something to do. And like when I'm not recording it, I'm editing it. And then I'm doing the socials and then I'm doing this. And then I'm reaching out to people. And like, it's like a constant thing. There's always something to do. And so just having that has been my saving grace, really. Saving grace. Oh. oh my goodness! There we are. That's I, uh, podcast number two coming out, twenty twenty three. Grace, I feel like because we've got you on the show, we have to cover your musical theatre uh, fandom. Mm. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a bit about? So the I didn't realize you were the original swing. Yeah, yeah, that's that. amazing. So how did that happen? What they were so they just happened to be like all the girls are getting sick. We need a swing and no. You... So I was I was cast in it as the swing, um, but there was only me. So I covered the whole show on my own for six months, um, and that was in the original cast of this production. Yeah. So the whole tour that we did, we went to Edinburgh, the Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Fringe, um, like Southampton, Kingston, Manchester, um, and then we did a six week run in at the Arts Theatre during that tour that whole time was just me and then it wasn't until the January 2019 that we permanently moved into the West End that we got Courtney Stapleton and Vicky Mansur um and we became alternates uh so we had two shows a week and then like two first covers two second covers two third covers um so yeah but luckily I'd already played all the roles before then so I felt pretty comfortable but I think the other girls like they they had to learn every single role and then it was kind of like a waiting game of you never know when you're gonna do your third covers and it's like it's just a it's such a machine now six that like it's just a completely different experience that's why I feel like my experience as a swing on that show will be not only different to other people who've swung on other shows because six is just a whole different beast but well for for good reasons and for bad reasons but it's like I just had such a different experience compared to what they do now like now it's so different for the covers in a good way I was just gonna say that is mama that's amazing mama what happened if you got sick yeah I mean, well, that's the thing. So it wasn't until the last venue of the tour in Glasgow that um, I think it was only me and Millie who were really fit to do the show. Like everyone was kind of ill. Um, But some of the girls like, I could talk about this could have been a conversation to talk about. We're kind of like pushing through and, um, you know, being the soldiers that they are, absolute queens. And, but there was, 
there was a few of them who just they were not fit to do the show and that is like absolutely okay and I was trying to be like just go off just go off and and they ended up calling Renee Lamb who was the original Catherine of Aragon on the soundtrack recording but it was a different um production uh so they they got her on a train to Glasgow and she read (sighs) Catherine of Aragon on the side of the stage with a script in her hand and I kind of tried to put her into as much of the show as I could um but then from there we became best friends and I now live with her so no yeah that's amazing so I always I always say that because it was such a hard time like I really cannot stress the stress in Glasgow even though it was Christmas and it was all lovely and snowing and nice it was so stressful, but the best thing to come out of that was Renee. Like, I'm so grateful for her. I love her. I love stories like that. Shout out, Renee. That's amazing. Um, Great. Should we play Two Truths and a Lie? <laughs> yes, yes. <gasps> okay. Are we ready? Hit us, Grace. Let's go. So, the first one is that I once um, won a talent competition and fell off the stage after accepting my certificate and broke my leg. <laughs> And I had to go to A&E and spend the whole night in hospital. Um, the next one is that I had a gorge before my beautiful puppy Bonnie, who I'm sure people know I'm absolutely obsessed with. We had a lovely... Bonnie's amazing. Oh, oh, she is my life. Um, we had a lovely schnauzer called Marley, um, but he very suddenly, this is a really sad one, died um, on, and it was on my first day of six rehearsals uh my first job my first day and then my last one is that philip schofield uh he was a big fan of six and he gave me a shout out on his instagram on the grid on the grid (laughs) just to just to throw that bit in there (laughs) oh my goodness Uh, okay i think i think the first one i think the first one's a lie i think you you maybe hurt something but didn't break an arm. That's what that's what I'm going with. Well, I no. I I think I think doggy is a lie. Maybe you did have a dog, but maybe it wasn't a schnauzer, and maybe it wasn't called Marley. So I think I one was... in three are true. So the first one is a lie. Fuck yeah. <laughs> no. I did fall off I'm the stage, so but I didn't break my leg. I just had a oh. fall. Oh. <laughs> Oh, but that's so sad. That's so sad. I know. There was, I, I, I wasn't really planning on it being that morbid. And then I was kind of saying it out loud. I was like, Grace, why have you chosen that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. my goodness, that's hilarious. Can you imagine your dog dying on the first day of your professional job? Can you actually you imagine that? On the, tri- on the train. You'd be distraught. Um what was I going to say? Oh, it's funny that you mentioned that that talent show because when when you were saying it, I had like a flashback memory of um, I did a I did like a talent show with my dance school when I was like nine, and I had this awful thing of um, whenever I'd like have the school holidays, I'd get sick. Oh so, yeah. Like, and it was like it was like the first day of the half term. And it was the day before my birthday and I like lost my voice like completely. <gasps> and I was, I was meant to be singing maybe from Annie in like green flares. And I was so excited. <laughs> <Of course she's> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my mum was like, my mum was like, we're not going down the traditional route, Clancy. We're going to go for green flares. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> oh my god. So I had my green flares and my cute little like blue t-shirt and I was ready to sing and I had my like CD backing track and I got there and I like, like, you know when there's like nothing no sound no sound like Aww. I like all and I just cried the, all the way home we had to go home I didn't do the talent show oh, oh that's yeah. so sad do you know what me and my friend do it's so funny um do you know Nathan the rainy Deneen yeah, yes. <laughs> he's honestly one of my favorite humans in the world. Whenever we go out, we go to the bar if we've got a show the next day, and we'll order our drinks like <laughs> we'll be like really nasal, <laughs> like really twangy. We're like, "Hello," <laughs> we're like, "Can I have a gin?" <laughs> and the bar people always like, "Look at us, like, please." <laughs> yeah, we're like. <laughs> at the bar and we find it so funny especially when we're drunk and we're literally like hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
This is safe verbal practice. Yeah, it's <laughs> so funny. Oh, I miss it. And speaking of nasality, let's move on to a first <laughs> and speaking of and speaking of good vocal quality in a bar setting, um, let's move on to your first difficult conversation. Yes, uh, Grace, would you like to introduce your first difficult conversation for us? Yeah. Um. So I'd love to talk about like just body image and body positivity and diet culture in general is yeah. like a huge thing for me and um especially of recent well it's been diet culture has been part of my life since I can remember um but especially in the arts I feel like there's such a long way to go um and well in in life in general I think there's such a long way to go and especially at this time of the year it's so so difficult because everyone's locked in doors and uh it's the beginning of a year and the beginning of a month well not anymore <laughs> we're way through January now but <laughs> it's the start of the year um you know we've indulged over Christmas and diet culture and the diet industry which can I say is a two billion pound industry not that they need any more money but they see this wow. time as the perfect time to reel everyone in and make everyone feel bad for enjoying their Christmases and make everyone remind everyone that summer's around the corner and you can't possibly possibly live your life until summer when you can be happy in a bikini and the only way to get to that happiness is by not living your life in this time now and obsessing over hating your body and being on a diet which oh yeah you've been trying to do for the past 10 years so it's just it's this money making machine um and I think like we just we as human beings we need to realize it is everywhere like yeah the, the beauty standards I say in inverted comma commas is everywhere in the media and it, it's it's like even where I, do, I don't even clock it sometimes I'm like oh yeah and it's not even just bodies it's something I've been looking into at the moment is like skin types like I have something a really common skin condition that um one of you might have as well like it's literally one of the most common in the world called keratosis pilaris which is like the bumpy skin on your arms and I've literally got it on my arms my legs my bum everywhere um and it's it's so like it's just part of me now and as a human I've completely accepted it as being part of me but um it like in the society beauty standards smooth silky like blemish free skin is not only healthy but it's also beautiful and sexy and I used to mm. dread the thought of like like I don't know about you some people hate it but I love having like my back and my arms and my neck tickled like while I'm falling asleep I find it really relaxing mm. you know people like love a head massage or something and I would dread the idea of like a boy tickling my arms like feeling my bumpy skin like it was just it used to literally made me make me cringe and I used to tell people at school that it was like um I'd be like oh it's just um permanent goosebumps or oh I'm just really cold I've just got goosebumps when they'd point it out and be like what is that on your skin and and then I'd go home and scrub and scrub and scrub like dry oh, skin scrubbing nice. and picking and like lathering myself in creams with who knows what in them I tried them all and it there's not there's not a cure for it there's only treatments and I think back to it now and I'm just like how this is just the one of the most like it's probably like one in three people have it in mm in the world like it's so common and it's harmless it doesn't cause pain it doesn't cause any long-term health conditions why are people so afraid of it why and the reason people are so afraid of it is because of what we see on tv and magazines and people with smooth silky skin um so that was a conversation I had with my mum the other day that I was like oh my gosh it's so interesting that I spent so long like hating this um and it's yeah that's th just this conversation in general about body positivity and not when it comes to not only shapes and sizes but also skin types genders uh sexual orientations 
everyone being represented. Um, I'm going off such a tangent right now. It's just flowing no, out. No, you no, bring it out it. of me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then and then also like because I obsess over the body positive body positivity movement. I adore it, and it. I've always wanted to speak about it and I have every now and then on Instagram and every time I even mention anything to do with my journey I get tons of messages being like please do a video on this please do a podcast podcast on it but doing the research and that I have I'm, I'm interested to know your thoughts on this actually it's such an interesting conversation but I the body positivity movement was started for um fat black queer women and it feels wrong of me to take up space in their movement because there's a massive thing with people, influencers, usually Caucasian influencers who are like a size eight, but will sit down, roll over their stomach yeah. or pull out <laughs> a bit of skin and be like Insta versus reality, hashtag body positivity and that just feels so wrong to me to take up space in a movement that wasn't for you it was about fat it was about radical fat acceptance looking at being fat not as an insult but as an adjective you know like and for it wasn't started by you it's not for you and it's hard trying to find the like find the language to use around it because I know that not in not in like an arrogant way, but every time I do open up about diet culture or my um, journey with body positivity, I do get messages about it saying, thank you for talking about this. But then I don't I, I I'm like, oh, my gosh, I feel bad because now I feel like I've taken up space in a in an area that isn't for me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's so weird. It's so hard yeah. to navigate. Yeah. Because if anything, you feel like you're helping shift the narrative. But are you helping shift the narrative or are you taking up space? It's odd. That's so interesting. But so I think, I mean, this is just my two cents. But I think like, like you've got a fantastic platform where you have access to so many young people who might not be aware of the body positivity movement and where it comes from. Um, and like, I, I totally agree with, it's like, you've got to respect where your voice is and the, the position your voice plays. But I definitely think we all have, we all live in this society, regardless of our shape and size and sexual orientation. We all live in this society that's been so geared towards being a certain way. And we've all got our own experiences of that. And I think you telling your truth about being like being a person in this world is valid. And I think as long as you then use your platform to be like, to then direct those people Mm, to other people. Other people as well. Yeah, to those people who started the movement and for example, be like, this is my role in it, but these people are doing amazing work. I think that's the perfect use of the platform that you have like I think I think you talking about this stuff is fantastic and I think we're also we are also affected about it and it's something that Mel and I have been talking about a lot recently about um I think lockdown especially like really holds a holds a magnifying glass up to all of your like your habits and um how we've all been like we've been doing a lot of psychoanalyzing of each other recently yeah same Um, oh my gosh sometimes too much (laughs) Just yeah, just because yes. <laughs> just, just because being in lockdown, like you you notice things about people, like which I don't necessarily think is a healthy thing, but like for example, for me, I um, so I've got this thing, and I that I didn't realize was a thing, but I have like a mental thing where I will ha- allow myself one treat a day, right? So it's like, and that's the cap on that, and I was like, where the f-? and like, and then I think Mel and Sammy, this was before we went back into lockdown. Uh, they went to be, or maybe it was in the first lockdown when we were all locked down together. They went to be. Too yeah, late. I think we were talking about we were talking about like like pastying things. I think, and I was like, oh, it's really interesting because you do this thing, and it makes me. I was like, well, I didn't. Yeah, I and I, I just sort of like brought it up as a like, oh, that thing happens, and it's interesting and interesting, like how like then I, like how I 
feel about it and, and I wonder how you feel about it yeah so, so they were, were like, like oh, they were like do well. you notice you do that thing because I'll be like they'll be like oh do, do you guys want to go get a slice of cake and I'll be like oh I had that thing earlier so that's my thing of the day and I was like where mm. did that come from and my mum had did all the fad diets oh my gosh I love my all... mum to bits but yeah let's talk about mums yep. yeah <laughs> my mum did all the fad diets and so like I remember once she was so angry because she um cut out sugar and bread and like was doing that like meat and veg diet and like I remember driving home from school and she was like look you just can't talk to me Clancy for three days while my body adjusts like and and then she did Weight Watchers and she did uh not eating and then and but she was always very adamant that she was like, you've got your dad's genes, so you'll be fine kind of thing. As if like being like her was a bad thing. But she did that thing of like, she was like, well, you're allowed one treat a day kind of thing. And I didn't realize how subconsciously that affected me. And that also, because I was like, oh, well, I'm blessed with my dad's genes. And the fear of growing up to be, oh, to look yeah. like my mum's side of the family, I think is really deeply embedded in me. And I haven't mm. noticed it until we've been um, had too much self-reflection time. But I think mm. that's, yeah, so I think it's interesting. And we are all so programmed in some way or another to fear fatness. There's so much fat phobia. And I think I have yeah. Yeah. a lot of subconsciously, yeah, I think it's been like subconsciously ingrained into me. Yeah, because you you know the injustices of it and you know that like what would happen if that ever did happen to you and just going back to the um thing with our mums and saying how it's been ingrained in us like it's been ingrained in us in a world where we are more progressive and we're more there's more people standing up to things like this think about the time that our mums were in where Mm. that was that's when diet culture was booming and it was the perfect time to control women and convince women that their bodies are wrong and like you had every celebrity sharing weight loss tips in their um interviews and you had quotes going around like nothing tastes as good as skinny feels things like that and like oh my gosh yeah it was so big in that time and it was like the 1970s I think like um I can't remember her name but a New York uh beauty salon owner before the 90 I think it was 1972 before then cellulite was completely normal it wasn't part of anything to do with fat or anything to do with um having an unhealthy body it was a completely normal part of your body and then a um a uh, New York beauty salon owner wrote an article in uh, Vogue, uh, basically just making up an imperfection, cellulite, let's use that. Then brought out a cellulite reducing product. So think how many people who read that article calling cellulite a disfigurement, then bought that product. It is money. It's all about money. Like every two years, they think of a new imperfection. Thigh gaps. Who decided thigh gaps meant you were skinny? Like it's just absolutely ridiculous. And my mum has been, my mum has um, diabetes. Not the, she got it young, but she didn't have it from being um, unhealthy or eating too much sugar like that kind of thing. But um she has always been slim her whole life, but she is like she used to be. She's literally only up until this last year she's come off it. Um she was like the Slimming World queen. And Slimming World is one of those diet programs that take your money and tell you that the bad things that you eat are sins. And um she was like she had all the stickers all the stickers on the Slimming World book. She absolutely loved it. She had a Slimming World girls, had a little group chat. And like the things that I think back to that I was so used to growing up, things like her being like, oh, so me and the Slimming World girls have all put five pounds in the jar and whoever loses the most weight this week is going to get all that five pounds, going to get all the money in the jar. Like, and that was just part of it. And yeah, and this, this is just a thing. Like that's, that's ideas that has come from the Slimming World group person probably being like, oh, I've got got an idea. Why don't you all put five pounds in a jar? Do you know what I mean? Like, and then they try and say like, um, 
Ah, uh, just the whole the whole tracking thing just blows my mind and being like, oh, if you go over your sins, have less tomorrow. And <gasps> like, it's it's. I used just... to get told stuff like that at school. Um, so I went to like a dance school, and basically, mm. I remember having a chat, and I was so young. We must have been in year nine. So what are you? Thirteen, fourteen? And I remember having a chat with. Um, it was our like ballet teacher at the time. And she basically was explaining like how calories work for want of a better word in a ballet class. It was sort of at the beginning. I think somebody had come to her about something, whatever. Anyway, I think in this same chat, we were told to uh, wrap our bodies in cling film so that we sweat more and get skinnier. <laughs> and then we rocked up to, we rocked up to, I don't think I part, I didn't partake in, in that um, actually, funnily enough, because I was a bit too much of a stickler for the rules, I think. And I think I had my own other mm. things going on or whatever. Um, and we turned up to a class. It was one of the, um, it was a, uh, like a male teacher's class. And, and he was like, what is this? Like, this is ridiculous and sort of, but almost I think chastised um, people for doing it, which I don't mm. perhaps think is the best way to go about it because then there's an awful lot of shame put on that sort of thought process, even though you were sort of um, conditioned by another person to 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 be thinking about even doing that and I think we need to sort of in those situations it's and I'm, I you know it's very it is very difficult but we need to be thinking about the thought process that went on for you to even consider that to be a good thing as opposed to going no you're wrong that was bad anyway yeah. so that happened and then also she was basically saying well if you want to eat a pie for your I don't know lunch and that's like 1200 calories then that's just your calories done for the day and I remember thinking like <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. Firstly, I was like, mm. Mm, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's a thing. But I know full well that there would have been that there were there definitely were people that took on that advice and they were like, oh well, yeah, well if I if I pull my calories into 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 one meal and I eat more for that meal and I've told myself that that's how much I'm going to eat for the day, then that's to to win at this thing. That's what I have to do, and th- there's yeah. nothing else that comes outside of that. And we were, yeah, I mean, there was an awful lot of stuff like that that went on. That to be honest, I just took for, just took for that. Well, that that's 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 the that's, thing. That's, that's it. That's, that's the way how that it works. It, that, that's how it works. And I, it yeah. took me a really long time to realize that, like a lot of that stuff that was said, that was really, as you say, can't see that stuff that's really deeply embedded in your um, subconscious that you don't think about really actively on a day, but it really does like affect how you view the world, view food relationships with food your body etc even though at the time I was probably just like yeah oh, you know it's sort of just happening it's going in one ear and going out of the other not that I'm saying I was the most healthy at that time I definitely was not by any stretch of the imagination but um but yeah it's it's wild how easily what well, anybody is is affected by that but especially young people. yeah yeah and like you say grace be that coming from you know whoever is in a position of power your parents you know mm. your, your your guardians your your, your friends who you look up to your teachers all of that teachers, if it's coming yeah yeah if it's coming from those people yeah because that's gonna, what yeah listen. that's the time that they they grew up in like our, especially like people of our mum's generations like they if it was embedded in, if it's embedded in, in us it was embedded in them a hundred thousand times more because we're only just making progress mm. now we're only just being opened up to it and but thinking about it like it's actually just been there's been beautiful parts of it as well because you know last year when my mum decided to come off of Slimming World and she's gone on to blooming Joe Wicks the body coach now but we love Joe Wicks the body coach because he's all about mental health he's all about eating for your brain and eating for your insides as opposed to aesthetics and he's great we love Joe Wicks um but so and, <laughs> and do you know what if she wants to stick to a plan to make her feel like she's keeping track on her blood sugars, she's living a healthy life and I'm all for that and more than happy for her to do that and it's things that like just happened last year like things like she started using olive oil and before that when she was on Slimming World she'd be so afraid of it avocados nuts they were all part of the sins and these these healthy fats are so good for you like my I eat a very strong Mediterranean diet I'm all about the olives the avocados the sun-dried tomatoes I thrive I love a Mediterranean diet um and so I'm just saying trying to say to her like avocados are the best like they're so yummy olive oil is so good because 
our whole house was just like this fry light spray which probably have chemicals in it that are just even worse for you than just using olive oil um so that part that part of it has been lovely I was gonna say I'm I'm really interested Grace though in like just talking about body image yeah when did you first like what's kind of your earliest memory of being like I don't fit this this mold oh my gosh uh I haven't got a specific one but I think just secondary school yeah would have been it um because I was never I never ever was I I, I never I think I remember there was one time a really horrible boy who was in my brother's year so two years older than me he walked past me in the corridor and went Grace is fat but that was like the only thing that I ever experienced in terms of like actual bullying yeah. because I think uh <laughs> I feel weird saying this about myself but I've always I was always such a happy bubbly lovely to everyone child and I I don't I don't think anyone because of that I don't think any if maybe I was more introverted and quiet people would probably feel more inclined to bully me but I I was always just really happy. And so they were probably like, oh, she's happy. Don't just leave. Do you know what I mean? The bullies will like leave her to it. And also I was in the um, the popular group. Yeah, uh, But I was the one in, uh. yeah. Hated it, hated every minute. And <laughs> don't speak to any of them anymore, of course. Um, but I, <laughs> I was in that group and I kind of, my role in that group was being, uh, should we say like inverted commas, the fat friend who all the boys were mates with so all the popular boys I was like their friend and they'd go through me to be like oh my god I fancy um Lauren can you like tell her can you like but it was never me and like I was because and I think it's because no one found me attractive and um I was really I was really beautiful though but yeah they just weren't here for it (laughs) you still are Jesus look at you yeah I remember just being okay and being like, yes, I'm bigger, but I was just cracking on with it. And I used to get upset that I didn't get attention from boys and all my best friends did. But it was just like, oh, oh well, I'm I'm still like 14, 15. I'm not ready to deal with that. And I was kind of still working out about this friendship group who were not good for me and the people who I wanted to hang out with and things like that. And then I got to sick form college. So what's that, 16? Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is where I realized that body image and body everything is actually a thing um I really started to I decided in my head that enough was enough it was it was time to lose weight and it was time to lose weight because if I didn't lose weight I wasn't going to get into drama school which was my ultimate dream um and so I went on fad diets which then resulted in severe disordered eating and I would I had a personal trainer who uh she sat me down and she had a, sat my mum down separately and basically just said your your daughter is on the verge of a severe eating disorder she has yellow eyes yellow nails she's washed out she can't I remember being in um my mum carries around jelly babies for her diabetes <laughs> uh, because they're really good at bringing your blood sugars back and I remember I used to go to classes with my mum at the gym and I'd have to I'd have to drop out because I was so dizzy because I hadn't eaten anything and I'd go into the change rooms and have to put my feet up on a lie down and put my feet up and have a jelly baby because I was just so dead like I was like I just didn't have any energy and um my I think my mum really struggled in that time it's only just recently we started speaking about it like from again another thing about Instagram I get messages from parents as well um from parents of the people who follow me the younger people who follow me about their children not eating that's something we could talk about later but um yeah and so anyway even though this personal trainer was saying all this stuff to me I'd never I never even I carried on I carried on going because as soon as I lost weight and I feel like an absolute mug for saying this but I started getting attention from boys and I started getting people sliding into my dms and I loved it I was like oh maybe and I used to think to myself oh my gosh I've got such a potential you know I've got a pretty face nice hair if I only had a flat stomach 
then I'd get attention from boys. So I carried on going and going and going. And I went to the um, the GSA Saturday school with Dills and Olivia Moore. Like it was honestly like High School Musical, best time no of my life. Like we had the best time. <laughs> and um, every, so that was every Saturday. And during that time, I was also at the Saturday school. I went there for my whole life. And I remember going and every single week I would be smaller. That's how rapidly I was losing weight. And every single week, my friend, my I remember my friend saying to me, um, oh my God, you, you look amazing. You're getting smaller and smaller by the week. You look amazing. And that was the word, You th- those words, you look amazing. And you see it on people who like, one of my really, well, she used to be really good friends has recently lost a lot of weight. And I, I don't know how she's done it and I'm hoping it's healthy, but I looked at the comments on her first picture she's dropped of her new image and the whole comments, you look amazing, you look amazing. You, wow, wow. And it's all, and that is what fed me to carry on going because people, people were noticing. People were noticing that I was looking smaller, I was getting attention from boys. Um, a boy who I really liked when I was at college, like he really friend zoned me. And then as soon as I lost the weight, he was there, he was ready. And I gave into that. And it honestly breaks my heart to think about it because that was what was making me go, yes, yes, yes. Um, and so I think that was my, I guess, my first proper experience of me realizing what the issue was. But I don't really remember. Uh, I don't really remember the first time I realized when I was bigger, because I was, I, I would say, like a size sixteen. I don't really remember that moment of being in like that specific moment of being like okay I'm different like some people remember it from a really young age um but yeah I don't remember but that that yeah I think sick form college was the moment that it really went up in flames and do you know what like I'm always trying to look at the positives I'm so glad it happened then and I'm so glad I went through that before going to drama school yeah because drama school is a whole new level and then you go out to the industry and again that was the whole new level my first audition I got turned down for because of my weight what it's yeah what I remember when I um had that feedback I remember like thinking I was absolutely heartbroken absolutely distraught but anyway I remember thinking in my head I'm so glad that I went through what I went through before I got this feedback because if I got the feedback and I hadn't been through that time of disordered eating and hating myself and feeding into people saying I looked amazing because I was skinny then I would have gone back there and I probably would have had an eating disorder whilst trying to make it into the industry which would have just been awful. It really saddens me that everything you were aiming for in terms of what you thought society would be like to you if you lost weight happened which is so fucked up and what's annoying is I'm sure that boy would have fancied you anyway if society hadn't told him that he should be into a certain type of person I know well he probably did he probably did because I was a legend in college I was so (laughs) I was a legend and he probably did fancy me but you know what he probably said in his head I can't pursue anything with her because all the boys will laugh at me or I can't do you know what I mean because she's bigger and I I don't want people to and that's why like that's another thing that is so oh my gosh you you two bring out bring it out in me the conversations (laughs) of just like I just want to talk about everything with you we can chat Um, for the whole of England literally (laughs) yeah but it's it is that thing in in relationships isn't it that like it's a thing where you feel like the girl should be the girl should has to be smaller and like I wear Josh's clothes and some of his some of his t-shirts are not baggy on me and I put I put them on and I've been and like there was that initial thing in my head of being like oh I you know when you know that like boyfriend's t-shirt look where it's like really oversized and there's like girls like on the bed with like oh boyfriend's shirt like I I was like oh this is kind of just fits me like a normal shirt <laughs> because yeah. I I'm not smaller than Josh you know um and that's like absolutely fine same thing for height I hate that stupid thing about girls having to be smaller than but a guy it, like that is just it's a horrible thing that we've been kind of um it's it's such a patriarchal notion that it's the the meek small woman and the big tall man oh which God. also affects and it and it 
I was just going to say, and it, it it slides itself over into like queer relationships as well. Like, but there's there's so mm. there's an unfortunate like level of like patriarchal structuring on occasion, um, and like toxic masculinity that like embeds itself even if we're speaking of um like two cis women for example in in mm. in in a partnership with each other like it's it's wild how like yeah. there are certain like ge- gender structures that can sometimes and i'm only speaking of like an occasional example in my case but like can sometimes come to play in that even if yeah that's not the idea that one person has about themselves and it is yeah it's it's yeah it's and that's wild. stupid saying who wears the trousers Oh what? Because trousers that, you know, in the what whoever's saying that are like is like a gendered thing for like when when has fabric ever been gendered? Like why do trousers mean that they're in the power? Oh again, another conversation. I'm I sorry, know. I just no, go no, off. That's okay. But so while we're on so we've been we've been chatting about the theatre industry, but I'm really interested yeah. in your second difficult conversation that you brought up. Um, do you want to introduce mm. that now that we've kind of moved into theatre? Yeah. Um, so the other conversation I wanted to talk about was um, Asian representation in theatre and in the arts and also um, just in, in life, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's, tr- it's a really interesting conversation because I, I've been lucky enough to be in two shows that have had nothing to do with my size and nothing to do with my ethnicity like it literally has nothing to do with the storyline of six or and juliet that's the whole point of it is that they've cast diverse people from all different perspectives and being i guess it yeah being a uh mixed asian woman in theater i think it ties in with being mixed race in general um there's so many things that come with being mixed race uh, that that whole thing of not knowing where you fit and just because you weren't born somewhere, feeling that you can't connect with that side of you and that part of your blood. Mm. Um, and then not only like did I have that experience of being mixed race, I had that experience of no one knowing where I was from and making assumptions and the first assumption that people see when they see me, okay, she's mixed race, she's got dark hair, uh, she's the same color as uh, Maya, so she's obviously from the same place. It's that stupid mentality. I am at personally more than happy with people asking where am I from because I'd rather them say, or, or what's your heritage? Yeah. I'd so much rather people do that than make assumptions about me. And sometimes I have fun with it. I go, oh, guess. And they'll go, oh, you like half Hawaiian? Are you, half Hawaiian. Is it half Jamaican? I'm like, no, I'm actually half Asian. And no one ever guesses. And I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fine. But it's, yeah, it's an interesting topic. And it's been hard as well because my dad moved from Burma when he was only 18 months old. He's, um, he's one of seven who are all older than him. So they know way more about Burma and the amazing complicated place it is than he does. And he had a terrible upbringing my dad um so and in terms of I'm the complete opposite to him because he's quite an emotional block and he kind of looks at Burma as that was that part of my life that was the first 18 months of my life but that isn't now and this my life started in England and I've built he's built this incredible life for me and my family I'm so grateful for but he doesn't want to connect with the rest of it he doesn't he's not interested because it bring and I, do you know what? Rightly so. If that's going to bring back past traumas, then you do you. But I am just the opposite. I'm like, I want to know where I'm from. I want to know about the culture. I want to know about my heritage. Um, and so that's been difficult because I've never fe- felt like I've truly understood it, which has even more made me feel like I can't identify as half Asian. I'm, I'm like, so, so then I'm like, what do I identify as? Because no one sees me as white, but no one sees me as half Asian. And even I don't see myself as half Asian. So who am I? And I kind of went through this thing um, at drama school, this identity crisis of just not knowing what I was. And like, I remember um, basically at GSA, we have these um, headshot meetings 
and I had a headshot meeting and showed my headshots and there was one of me with nice beautiful straight hair and um the person who was doing the headshot meeting said oh yeah this is beautiful this is your king and I or uh, this is your king and I audition headshot and then I showed them uh the one of me with curly hair and they said oh great this is your bubbly black girl perfect for like the book of mormon and I, and so that to me because that was a professional drama school employed person telling me that I would be in for the book of mormon that that was that was what what it was and I was like oh okay I didn't really I didn't really think that people I didn't I'd never heard of anyone who was Asian being in the Book of Mormon. I didn't think that was a very good uh representation of, you know, their stories. Someone from a completely different continent. Um but okay, I'll go with it. Obviously never had an audition for the Book of Mormon and if I even got one I wouldn't go because that is so wrong. Um but anyway, I kind of was just like, okay, I I guess I should prepare for auditions for shows like this and I I had singing teachers being like Grace you need to because my voice and I say this and people are like what because I've been in Six and I'm Juliet but my voice is legit it's it's King and I it's uh Les Mis like I love that sing- style of singing it's where my heart is and pe- my singing teachers were saying you need to increase your airflow you need to increase your soulful sound you need to learn how to riff because these are the parts that people think you are pe- the- you are going to be up for like Dina and Dreamgirls you are going to be up for people like roles that should be played for by black people like it's wrong it's not right for me to and I I did question it and I was like yeah yeah this yeah I, I just went along with it um but now obviously I, I would never I would never ever think that's okay do you know what I mean um it was so it was super interesting it was super interesting and I guess this yeah this is kind of off Asian representation but um before that that identity crisis that was drama school um I was only used to seeing Asian women in shows that who were either playing slaves or servants or um, wives, aka slaves, <laughs> um, and the representation was just wrong. And but then I'd go to normal shows like Wicked, Chorus Line, um, and the majority of people in those shows are white. And so I'm thinking, oh, okay, so I'm going to be in inverted commas the Asian shows because that's where I'm from and I was like oh, I, I don't want to like Kim for me was always a massive dream role and I think in my head now I don't want to play someone who's like living their life for a man like yeah. do you know what I mean that that, that like Miss Saigon mm. is probably one of, I love it but the music but it's probably one of the most sexist musicals in the world I don't want to play that I don't want to stand around and like represent a culture I know nothing about in in King and I you know what I mean like I don't know if I am right for that I, I feel like as an act actress an actor I have way more I want to tell exciting stories about demanding respect or you know um and then it just really stressed me out because I was like, we need we need more representation. Every time I go on as Juliet, I I have messages like, oh, it's so great to see an Asian woman demanding respect, telling a story, nothing about being Asian, nothing about living your life as a man or living your life for someone who is superior to you. Like it's it makes me feel like there is space for us there is room for us and I just feel like there are just not enough conversations about Asian people in Mm. musical theatre and it just blows my mind and then and then again it's that weird weird thing that I have as Grace the people pleaser of why can't why do I feel like I can't speak about it because people don't think realize I'm Asian people and I feel like if I started the conversation and I'm my my friend Carl who um was in Wicked he's um 
half Asian. He covered Fierro and that was a huge thing that he was the first Asian Fierro and it was incredible. And um, he said, he said to me, he was like, we need to, we need to come together and put our brains together and chat about this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I came away being like, oh my gosh, I'm scared because people are going to be like, oh, well, you're not fully Asian. You don't know, like, do you know what I mean? It's like such a difficult thing to navigate. And, um, but I do, I do want to, especially because I know that there aren't enough roles for us but it's that thing that some people in the industry still don't know. Like the during the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, I was getting messages being like, I stand with you. I just wanted to make sure you're okay after everything that's going on. And from people, oh and I, I've had to have that horrible conversation of being like, thank you so much, but this isn't me. And they said, oh. I'm so sorry for making assumptions. And like some of them were my friends and it's, oh it's like really oh you know that kind of toe moment when it's like you didn't even know you didn't even know it's all uh, the time yeah um, and it's that problem with like bandying people together it's the issue that I take with the word bame that it oh inc- yeah like it sort of bandies all people together in one into one group when everybody has different experiences and we're all individual people and you should never be being made to feel like you can't be fully authentically yourself because even your friends are getting sort of your innate um Mm. like personality and and your innate being wrong by making assumptions about you like that's that's so annoying that that happened I I don't know where to start when it comes to it but I think the main thing for me is just creating more roles that have nothing to do with it so the roles that could be played by someone who is from this place and ro- and it could also be played by someone from this place. And either way, it will work. Things mm. like Anne Juliet, things like Six, like Hamilton, another great example. Like it just doesn't matter where you're from, what you look like, it, it works. And I, I just don't understand why that collection of shows is still so varied but isn't it interesting that they're the most popular ones yeah because people are clocking people are clocking and being like this is so cool and so i'm hoping it's i can see myself represented here which is so important yeah you can't be what you can't see and if you were putting people out there and that people can see themselves in Mm -hmm. it's miraculous how close people will feel to those shows it, I think it beca- it comes from firstly diversifying the people in power like yeah it's, man. it's not just about like trusting the you know stereotypically white men who are in charge of the castings to cast people yes. who are diverse but put, where where are the black casting directors where are the like Asian women cast and directors like do you know what I mean it's it comes from that first and putting putting them on the creative team like letting people feel represented in the creative team and that's when the stories will come because Mm. and and also people will feel safer people feel safer to create in that environment when they feel represented represented in the people who are authoritative I definitely hope that we're moving towards a more diverse more representative industry we are we definitely are we're making the steps they're just going it's going too slow and too small so i'm hoping this will be the year and people will be creating new work and also you know like especially after um the black lives matter movement a few months ago i'm really really hoping that the shows that did open up about it are going to practice what they've preached. Yeah, me too. And I think just from the couple of times that you've said like, oh, like, you know, I'm not sure if it's my, and I, you know, I can't, I can't tell you this, and these are just my thoughts because I never like to put my like voice anymore into that space either. But um, you have such a knowledge of like the like respect and stuff that comes with inserting yourself into into spaces that you fully, fully belong in and have the ability to be able to speak about. Like, I think, you are like the like perfect person to be able to be having these conversations and it's just so great that you're like putting voice to that and like using your platform for like those things that's just my two cents worth on it because it takes people like that Mm. that have reach and 
you know pa- power in in the in the world what sort of world of social media that will really start because people are gonna you know they'll listen to somebody like you over they'll listen to me <laughs> or like listen to yeah, like other people well, that might be they newer to the industry or not in in it uh, uh, in not quite in it yet or younger or whatever um yeah, it's, yeah that, right that's that's funny you say that like I hate speaking about social media and followers it I'm like oh I've got followers um, <laughs> but when I was talking about um the parents thing both oh, yeah. I've, I've had three parents um message wow. me about their child that's intense being insecure about their body and two of them both said they won't listen to me but they'll listen to you and it's like and I put it on my close friend's story and I just said, I don't know what to do. And I half of my close friends were messaging me being like, this is not your place. You do not have to put yourself in that position to make someone you don't even know. Like, and but then some people said, this is this is like a sign. Like if you if you feel passionate about this, you, you should reply. Like you don't have to like, I don't know, have a Zoom call with them and be like, You are beautiful, your body is amazing. Like, um, do you know what I mean? But you can reply. And so do you know what I did reply because it did affect me. And I know that if I didn't respond to that message or if I replied to that parent being like, I'm really sorry, but this isn't my place, I would feel dreadful like because that's just me as a person and I understand that like some people of higher profile they wouldn't they wouldn't reply but I could not be that person to not acknowledge a parent who went through oh my god it's making me emotional went through what (laughs) went through like what my mum went through with me could not do that so I was like I'm sure they were so grateful. Completely for that. emotional about it. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, but it's amazing that you like have that ability and like that these parents like, and it would have made oh, yeah. such I a massive difference. I do think they would have been like, so grateful. Yeah. I'm sure if I would have, yeah, I think if I would have had somebody like, like you, like if, you know, we would have been in the age of social media that we are now and I would have received like a message from you. I think yeah. I probably would have been the type of person that would have been more likely to listen to that thing that I'm... Yeah. I would have, I would have, yeah. Um, and that's the thing, yeah. every, the and relationship it's we have with our parents. And that mum did reply being like, I told her and she went to her pineapple class in a crop top and joggers oh. and felt amazing. And she'd never done that before oh. in her life. And I was oh just like, God. oh my gosh, this is things like, this is literally me when I was a kid, like dreading going to a class mm. wearing a crop top. Like it's, it's crazy that world. While we're on social media, just because I'm mm. dying for a wee, is there anything you'd like to plug? <laughs> um, I'm actually dying for a wee as well. Uh, what do I want to plug? Um, My podcast, which I'm very excited to say you're both coming on. Um, Yeah, I think just like my podcast and YouTube, it's a hard slog, isn't it? Like, I'm sure you can both agree, like, because there are so many so many of us out there. Yeah, it's a a hard slog podcasting because I know for me, if I was, if I saw my friend Grace promoting her podcast, I'd be like, oh, but I've still got 500 Jamila Jamil podcast episodes to listen to sorry Grace like but this is me saying expand your podcast range like listen to the open house listen to cuts of grace you never know what you're going to get from them um and also yeah subscribe Yay. to my YouTube channel <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave all of the links in our um mm. show notes and like description and stuff like any of the all your socials the, the, the podcast how to get to it oh, and uh, thank yeah you. thank you so much for coming on open house we really appreciate it <laughs> thank you thank you honestly i feel like i've just been to therapy honestly like that's just- <laughs> That's what well, I get from good conversations. That is what we say. Yeah, that's why I yeah. started a podcast because you just feel so good after a good chat, like putting the worlds to rights. Yeah. Know? So well done yeah, for doing what you're doing. People can, you know, listen in and be like, oh, that's how I could, you know, navigate that chat. Or, oh, listening to this conversation might make me feel empowered to maybe have that conversation with somebody else or something else. And it's like a yeah. circle effect, isn't and it? And you know Hopefully what? Sorry, I know we're feeling connected. Yeah. And, and I, sorry, I know we all need a wee, but. <laughs> just on that like on the topic of difficult conversations like 
we're all learning we're all going to the school of unlearning at the moment we're all doing it like don't be ashamed of being wrong like some i i'm sure i might have said something on this podcast that i'm probably going to think about for about 500 years after this after we finish recording and i know that some people might even listen to this podcast and be like oh actually i disagree with that that's okay disagree with me i'm okay for you to do that like even if you think i'm really wrong let me know let's have a conversation like it's this is I'm guessing this is what this podcast is about I'm just putting words into your mouth probably but you know don't be afraid of being wrong and being open to learning because that is all you can do I hate this cancel culture of someone oh saying God. something wrong and then that's it like they are that's them done like uh, again talk about Jamila Jamil just because she's my current obsession and um, like she is all about have people should have be able to grow as humans and be like actually that was really wrong she wrote so many awful tweets in 2013 that she has owned up to and said I have no intention of being that person again I've learned from it and that's not me so I just want to put that out there after all of because I'm sure people are gonna listen to this podcast and go okay I need to go listen to every other episode of open house because it's so sick um so just just have that in mind like, it's okay to disagree it's okay to educate your friends and it's okay to be wrong this has been open house with Mel Lowe and Clancy Ryan music by Glenn Clark